Oh, Father, by faith we know that the fading glories of this world are not to last, but a great glory awaits those who believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, this morning as your blessed church that you will make that truth known to us afresh this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great hymn about the church from the great John Newton. And I'll ask you to open your Bibles this morning yet again. Romans chapter 8. Paul's letter to the Roman church of the first century, a church he did not found. And so he writes what is considered this elegant and somewhat complicated but full doctrinal treatise to make sure that this church is on the right track with regards to the truth of God's word and the deportment of the saints. And so he covers all these different subjects. And of course, we're in great chapter 8 where the apostle deals with the assurances of salvation that are the gift of God for the saints. I have but two verses this morning to present to you from chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, and they read, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And I'll add one more verse for you this morning. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. O Father, in Jesus' name, let us be those who hope. We hope for the things revealed in your word that are only for those who are of faith in Christ. Amen. So verse 24 very plainly reads, We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope? For what one sees. So to the believer, friends, sight is overrated. It seems God would have his children hope for things that are unseen. Hope's not based upon fulfillment, friends. Hope is based on a promise of fulfillment. It expires when it's realized. You know, when we get to heaven, we don't need faith anymore. We don't need to hope anymore. We see face to face. Now in a glass darkly, as Paul said to the Corinthians, but then face to face. Hope expires when it's realized for how can one hope for what one sees? When you're in the presence of Christ, you no longer need that great grace of hope that draws us to him day by day in our walk with faith. Now, hope's an interesting subject for a number of reasons. One, It's very much connected to faith, right? Hope is connected to faith, but it's not the same. That's why Paul uses these words, and they're Greek words, and he uses them um, not interchangeably at all, but they do have subtle differences. It's kind of like envy and jealousy. To try to discern the different... Envy and jealousy are different, but they're very much related. Well, it's the same with hope and faith. Faith comes with hope, and the apostle in these two verses, is putting the crowning argument on what he has just said. And I'm going to go through that a little bit this morning. Hope's one of the more difficult subjects to get across in speech. Now, why would I say that? It's because our modern American concept of hope 
is unlike the hope of the Greek culture of the first century in which, of course, the apostle lived and wrote. It's a different concept. The language also doesn't transfer particularly well. Now, English is a really good language for the gospel and the word of God. I want you to know that. English, the last time I counted, has a lot more words than any other language. Did you know that? You can say things many ways in English. But there are still some limitations when you come to translate. Greek was like that also. C.S. Lewis very famously wrote a book called The Four Loves. You know, there's four words for love. There's actually more, but there's four in the New Testament that are used and translated love in the English. We could say something like, I love God, or we could say, I love ice cream. And in, the, and in English, that's the same word. But of course, there's a hugely different emphasis on those words. Well, in Greek, you wouldn't say that. You would have a different word for loving God and for loving some uh, insignificant preference of your own. So words present a problem, but I think we could work through the problem. In modern parlance, that means the way we speak, hope is just a feeling. We hope about all kinds of things. People say, I hope this, I hope that, right? It's not attached to any distinct expectation, the way we throw it around in our culture, right? You could say, I hope it doesn't rain. I say that all the time. I hope it doesn't rain. But the act of hoping in this instance is not attached to any real expectation. I hope it doesn't rain, but I know that it might. It's merely a wish or a preference at times, isn't it? It's not so distinct from that, the way we use it. And I'm not saying we use it wrong. We have a a, a culturally relevant way we use words, but it's not the same culture as the one Paul was in. So I want to make these distinctions a little clearer this morning. It's almost superstitious the way we deal with hope. Now, I say that because if I hope it doesn't rain, and it doesn't rain, we may say, see, it's good to hope. When you hope for something, it comes true. We might say, my hope kept the rain away. We might say to a pessimistic friend, see, it's good to hope, even though our hoping had nothing to do with the weather. It's just we happened to say it out loud, somebody heard us, and now we get credit for hoping and having it come true. On the other hand, if it does rain, we speak of our hopes being empty hopes. We may say, well, it's useless to hope. It's like the sign over the gates of hell in Dante's Inferno. It says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. By the way, I recommend it as reading. Now, I've hoped in this way for many things in my life over the years, only to be disappointed, have you? I've hoped that certain people would recover from illness only to see them die. We hope for election results. That tends to disappoint from time to time. Yet in every case, our modern English usage of the word is a correct usage. Hope, in our understanding, comes with no guarantees and no conditions. It's simply a dream or a wish that we dare to give voice to. And in that way, it's my sincere hope this morning that I can get across to you the meaning of hope in this text. The Greek word for hope does not comport with contemporary concepts of hope. The New Testament's not always consistent in the use of the word. That makes it more difficult. And to complicate the matter, the Hebrew word translated hope in the Old Testament may may differ from the word translated hope in the New Testament. And so in order that we may grasp what the apostle is positing here, we should look into some definitions 
And so I'm going to give you this morning a lexicon definition of the word. The word in Greek is elpis. Elpis in the New Testament means favorable and confident expectation. That's a good definition, isn't it? Favorable and confident expectation. And I'm quoting here, it has to do with the unseen and future. Things that are unseen in the future. And then it gives, as a proof text, Romans 24 and 25. The very verses we're looking at. Well, the lexicon goes on. It gives two different meanings. A, the happy anticipation of good. And then it says that's the most frequent significance. Well, I hope that stops. And then he gives proof text. Titus 1-2 and 1 Peter 1-21, which we'll talk about. So, he, so um, definition A is the happy anticipation of good. And, and, and definition B is the ground upon which hope is based. And then again, some proof texts. And we read from Colossians 1.27, again, a proof text in the lexicon, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the object upon which the hope is fixed. So sometimes hope is the outcome, and sometimes the hope is the source of the outcome in the New Testament. And it can be used in these different ways. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have an academic argument with the lexicon this morning, as sometimes I do. I think they subtly missed the point. It's very subtle, but I want to try to make it clear to us so we can get an idea, really, an anchor in our souls, what Paul's talking about. I believe definitions A and B are united more than they're divided. Now, the lexicon gives the impression that they're divided more than they're united. It says that definition A is used most frequently. And then he gives our text this morning as his proof. I think they missed the point. I don't think it's just a happy anticipation of good. In other words, the, ha- um, the happy anticipation of good is not the message of today's text, nor is it the meaning of hope in Titus 1-2, the proof text used in the lexicon. Now, you might think it's pretty arrogant for me to dare to stand up here and disagree with the experts in the lexicon, but I have context to go to here. In context, Titus 1-2 reads this. Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before times eternal, but in his own seasons manifested his word in the message. The phrase there, the operative phrase is, in hope of eternal life. That's not just a happy anticipation of good. That's a full and concrete resting of your faith upon the object and the source of your hope, Jesus Christ. It's not Paul's happy anticipation of good. Rather, it's the foundational basis of his whole message. It's the substance of his faith, and it's based upon the promise of a God who he tells us cannot lie. So definitions A and B must be united in one meaning more often than they're divided. Paul's hope of eternal life is based upon Christ in him, the hope of glory, we're told. And so it is with all of us. Our hope is based on something. It isn't just a hope-so kind of hope. Like when I gave the example, I hope it doesn't rain. 
I could pray it doesn't rain, but that's another whole series of uh, sermons. So to sever hope from the basis of hope is to turn hope into a frivolous wish, it seems to me. And that's not the emphasis of Paul's message here or in the Titus passage. In other words, Paul and we live in the same hope. In this phase of our election, this season we're in of our election, we're saved, right? But salvation has seasons. It's not fulfilled. It's begun. We talked about having a foretaste of it, right? Having the first fruits of it. Um, Our inheritance is manifested in the message in this season. That's the inheritance. That's the taste of eternity that we have now. It's the word of God. It's the message. In the next season, our inheritance is manifested in the glory that Paul was talking about leading up to these two verses. The passage comports well with Romans 8.24. Before glory, we enjoyed the promised unseen hope, and after glory, we experience the promised hope fulfilled. When all is fulfilled, sight takes the place of faith. Fulfillment takes the place of hope. Hope is a grace for dealing with the future while it's yet the present. The Bible can do that. Prophets talk about future events concretely, sometimes in a, in a past tense, if you will. Now, doesn't all of life manif- manifest itself in stages with determined outcomes? First, there's the fetal stage, right? When a child is conceived, we talk about a baby being born, but really, a whole person has been born. It's just in the first stage. You know, it's interesting when, we, when you go back to Genesis... When you go back to Genesis, when um, Eve was pregnant, she said, I, I think it was, she said, I have a man from the Lord. She didn't say a baby. She said, the Lord gave me a man. Well, I'm sorry to tell all you people with the young babies, but those are going to be men and women someday. The cuteness fades, by the way. That's only a little stage in life, you know. And uh, I offer myself as, as um, proof of that. But... Um, Okay, kids, let's be quiet now. In other words, you know, when I, was, when I was a little kid in the Catholic Church, the priest would yell at the kids right from the pulpit all the time. In this phase of our election, our inheritance is manifested in the message, and in the next season, it's manifested in the glory. So there are these stages. First is, let's call it the fetal stage. You're still unborn, right? Next comes birth and childhood. Finally, adulthood. But in each stage, we're really the same human being. We're just growing right? We're developing into maturity. Faith adds the final step, friends, but only to the believer. And hope keeps the promise of faith alive in us. Hope, you may remember, is the final development of a maturing faith. From Romans 5, we read, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. It's the final development in our maturing process of faith. We're saved by faith, friends. We're saved into Christ, and we mature in in hope. An undaunted hope is the sign of a mature believer, a believer who has persevered and developed a strong character. Now, hope's often referred to in the New Testament as the things hoped for. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this from Acts chapter 16. You remember from Acts chapter 16, Paul was in Philippi. There was a demon-possessed woman there. 
Remember? And she was a slave girl, and she was owned by her masters. And she told fortunes for money. And her masters, of course, made the money. Right? So this demon-possessed slave girl was there in Philippi at that time. Paul drove out the demon because the demon annoyed him, if you remember. And then we read this. But when her masters saw that the hope of their gain was gone, they laid hold on Paul and Silas and dragged them before the rulers. The demon was the source of their income, and so he became the object of their hope. The hope of their gain was gone because the demon was gone. So their hope was really, concretely, the demon himself. When Christ is our hope, a source that cannot be dashed, our hope takes us all the way to glory. So hope, or elpis, is the anticipation of glory based upon an invincible power. From 1 Timothy, the Lord's referred to in precisely this way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the commandment of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, our hope. Jesus is called our hope here. And so we see that our hope's often depicted in Scripture as the object of our hope. The thing hoped for is attached to the object. If the object is Christ, our hope is secure. It's no longer attached to frivolous, temporal, worldly things. It is, as Paul said to Titus, the hope of eternal life is attached to the promise of God, a God who cannot lie, he told us. Remember Abraham's hope. Great Example, Romans chapter 4, where Paul writes, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Abraham's faith did not waver over the fragile circumstances of life, that is, extreme old age with a barren, aged wife. He considered neither his age or the barrenness of Sarah's womb, remember it said? We further read, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. His hope was in the promise because the promise was attached to an invincible promiser. Translations can be a further obstacle to our understanding of the passage. If you're reading this morning from the King James Version, you will find that the, that the verse is rendered, for we were saved by hope. We were saved by hope. Now that rendering has been controversial for a long time, and I think we can safely conclude that it's patently false. That is not a good translation. So much so that the new King James renders it differently, as I'm reading from this morning. We were saved in this hope. The correction in the modern version is more specific, and it conveys the apostles' meaning in the passage much more reliably. The English Standard Version renders it this way, for in this hope we were saved. The American Standard has it, for in hope we were saved. That's totally different than we were saved by hope. Hope doesn't save us. Prepositions matter. Little tiny connecting words matter. The word by is qualitatively different than the word in. Do we agree? We were saved by hope and we were saved in hope mean two completely different things. And we ought to get it right. I'll give you an illustration, and I hope this works. (laughs) Illustrations are funny that way, but I, I tried to think this through. Consider a woman drowning in the surf. The lifeguard springs into action and pulls the woman to safety. So the woman is drowning 
out there on Second Beach, and Jared is on the shore in his Speedo. <laughs> I know you're up there. Uh, Jared is a lifeguard down in, in Second Beach, or First Beach. Okay, so he springs into action, and he saves the woman. He can see her struggling in the surf. She's is not saved in the lifeguard, is she? She's saved by the lifeguard. The preposition makes all the difference. Let's take the example a little further. Was the lifeguard the object of her hope? Maybe he was. Well, if he was, it was only her good fortune that he succeeded in saving her. He could have failed. It's happened, right? In this case, however, he came through. He saved uh, her saved life seems to be the manifestation of her hope. But I'm going to suggest to you that's no different than me saying, I hope it doesn't rain and it doesn't rain, and I say, my hope caused it not to rain. But what if she shared her faith in the life God with a friend? And what if the friend went out to swim in a riptide, fully persuaded that if he got into trouble, his hope would be fulfilled? He's heard from the woman that she can trust in the Savior, the lifeguard. The guard struggles against the tide and cannot get to her, uh, and cannot get out there in time. His hope was based on an uncertain source. The object of his hope was vulnerable to unseen circumstances, right? Hope in this case is no more than a reasonable risk, right? That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about, put your faith in Christ. It's reasonably assured you'll go to heaven someday in glory. That's never our message. It's like hoping the stock market goes up. Friends, it usually does. So your risk is probably low. And your hope and your hopefulness are high. But the object of your hope is fallible. Eventually it will disappoint you. I hope we know that. When Christ is our Savior, there's no chance of failure. He's all-powerful. Circumstances do not affect him. He is, in fact, the author of the circumstances. He's not taken by surprise by the riptide. There's nothing unforeseen with our hope. And so it's proper to say that if we're saved by Christ, we are also saved in Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul could write in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, we know from the context, which we labored over last week, that the hope the apostle is concerned with here is the hope of future glory, which for the believer is the fact of future glory. The thing you hope for today will be a fact of life in your future. The things we most assuredly will attain in our... It's the thing that we most assuredly will attain in our hope. We read from the previous verse, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And from there, Paul goes into, for we were saved in this hope. Well, he's referring specifically to the redemption of our body as our hope. He's not started a new section in verse 24. He's putting forth the final summarizing argument of the previous passage. He's teaching the saints to look forward to glory with expectation. He's urging us to recognize that the whole created order, as we labored over last week, is striving and groaning and eagerly anticipating the certain fact of the glorification of all creation. 
Creation, he said, awaits the glory, the glorification of the sons of God. And that's the, that's the first step in the glorification of the whole created order. And he personified the created order as looking forward to this. Creation has undergone corruption as well as the man. The fall has affected everything. It affected the king. It affected the kingdom. The king was Adam and he fell. The kingdom is all of creation and it fell with the king. And so just as man looks forward to that glorious day of our full redemption, the redemption that in this life we've been given a foretaste of, we've been given the first fruits of, we've been given the earnest and first installment of, so does creation look forward to its part in that same glory. So hope in these verses speaks specifically to the object of hope, which is our ultimate glorification. And that's where I think the lexicon missed it. I think they took verse 24 without taking verse 23, if I may be so bold as to suggest that. We're not saved by the promise of future glory. We're saved in the promise of future glory. It's as if hope is the finishing touch of faith. It was faith that saved friends, but faith contains an element of hope. Faith is refined by hope. Faith looks backward to forgiveness. It remembers the miracle of justification. But hope looks forward to the final perfection of the process of salvation. We are entirely saved the minute we're saved, just like we're entirely human the minute we're conceived. But we do have some growing to do, and hope helps with that. Romans has made us certain of that. Paul uses the aorist tense. I don't want to get into that a lot, but the aorist tense is used throughout the New Testament. And what the aorist tense is, is the past tense. You were saved. It's a finished work done in the past. You don't have to worry about being unsaved. You don't have to worry that that when you sin, you can become unsaved. We know from Scripture that the faith that has redeemed us grows and continues to grow. We mature in Christ. We're being perfected by it but we're not yet fulfilled in it. We still drag around these earth-bound bodies of ours. Hope is that part of faith that urges the Christian to wait, but our wait is worth it. Hope assures us of that. Hope is the engine of patience. Our our glorification is promised. Hope helps us endure the wait. The witness of the Spirit with our spirits is the guarantee that the promise is being fulfilled. John wrote the very same thing. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then John concludes the teaching with these words. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What hope does John speak of? The same one that Paul speaks of. It's not the process or the act of hoping. It's the fact and substance of hope. That is, our glorified bodies completely remade. Book of Hebrews makes it very plain. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we can see there's always this relationship between faith and hope, but they're not the same thing. Faith is based on a finished work. It takes hold of and makes real the substance of a promise. That is, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hope is the attending force of faith. 
It is ever there, side by side with faith to inspire, to excite, to grasp for and groan for and strive after that substance. Lloyd-Jones put it this way. To put it another way, he writes, faith looks back to the finished work of Christ and gives us certainty concerning the things he's purchased for us. That's why it's the substantiating of Hebrews 11.1 that we just read. He goes on, he said, Hope looks forward with eager expectation to the things which Christ has thus purchased for me. That's how hope takes us a stage higher, he writes. It is something which is so certain of the blessings that are believed and accepted by faith that it really lives for and is always looking forward to them. Hope is the measure of true Christianity, he writes. So friends, your faith will take you all the way, but hope lets you enjoy the ride. Faith is sobering. Hope is intoxicating. Faith declares, hope excites, faith sets its feet, hope sets its sight, faith gives you a fighting spirit, faith gives you a fighting spirit, but hope gives you a happy spirit. Hope is the thing that helps the believer endure to the end. Hope is distinct from hoping. Hoping is the act of desiring a good outcome, but hope is the certainty of a promised outcome. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So I want to look here at the word perseverance. The text is inspiring hope in the Christian, and that hope is a force within us. It is a spiritual grace that causes us to be confident in the moment. Hope settles the searching mind. Hope reminds the questioning mind. Hope calms an anxious mind, and hope restores a tired, weakened spirit. It excites an eagerness within us, but is not daunted by delays. When these qualities are united, they may be called perseverance. A dictionary definition of perseverance is this, to persist in or remain constant to a purpose, idea, or task in the face of obstacles. In other words, if a person wavers, if a person forgets his purpose, he cannot be said to be persevering. I like the fact that the dictionary added the portion that says, in the face of obstacles. Did you ever know a person who simply had life easy? The psalmist talks about people like that. It seems everything goes his way. Do you have any friends like that? At any given point in his life, he seems to be safe. He seems to be satisfied. He never had to confront opposing forces or formidable obstacles. He just goes about his days unmolested by bad luck and unfortunate circumstances. Such a man can hardly be said to be persevering, right? He's just going along and fortune was in his path. Now, as believers, we know that we're not like that. As believers, we have to overcome obstacles. I have a friend who I see from time to time, and whenever I see her, she's quick to point out that nothing bad has ever happened to her. And I thought this was an anomaly one time until a year or two later I saw her again. She did the same thing. Now, I really think it's because I'm a Christian, maybe because I'm a minister, that she likes to point out that bad things have not happened to her in her family. Now, I know the intent of her telling me this. It's because she wishes me to see that she has God's favor. In her weak understanding, she thinks that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. 
And if you're one of these, if you believe that faith makes you exempt from trouble, let me tell you this morning, you're greatly mistaken. There are whole denominations today that preach that faith means we get whatever we want. Have you heard this? You get whatever you want. In fact, you can demand it. I'll tell you that's a sorry demoralizing belief because what happens to it when you don't get what you want and at some point you won't? You know, one of the great so-called faith preachers died of COVID. I wonder how you explain that to the congregation, particularly where you stood before the congregation and commanded COVID to depart. I wonder what that does to the faith. Faith doesn't mean we get whatever we want. It means whatever we get, we still trust in Christ. That's called perseverance. Paul's resume is quite different from my friends. He doesn't tell everyone how great everything's going. You never hear Paul do that. Since the road to Damascus, look how everything worked out for me. Look at all the churches I founded. That's not what he said. He said, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every true believer is confronted with obstacles, or Paul would not have offered us that long list of obstacles. And it was not his good fortune in the daily circumstances of his life that he boasted of. It was the opposite. Here's Paul's credentials. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. (laughs) I, I wish I remembered this list when my friend told me how everything went so well for her. There's never been any sickness or death, no hard times. I would have said, you know, I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was in the deep in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness besides the other things what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." If I must boast, I'll boast in the things which concern my infirmity. It's prophesied by Jesus himself many times. These things I've spoken to you, he said, that you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He's telling them this so they can persevere in the moment. He said, when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. We're joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, he says. And it's replete throughout the scriptures. Perseverance is the overcoming of obstacles because of the power of hope-filled faith. Jesus says again, they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Endure means persevere. This is what is meant by persevering in hope. Nothing dissuades or misdirects the true believer. Now, if this disturbs you, you're not alone. That's why Paul wrote the next verse. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. We have a helper through all these things. We're not alone in it. And we'll take up with that aspect of it next week. Our Father, we pray that we would be a hope-filled body of Christ this morning and that that hope 
would endure with us until the end, O Lord, until the glorious redemption of our body that all creation awaits to celebrate with us. In the sight of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.